from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Just that, that bravery and the idea that you guys know the risks and that doesn't stop you from doing this job. You don't want to pull up on a scene and see heavy fire on a second floor and somebody saying, well, my, my mom and my grandma and my grandfather's in there and it's just, well, that's, that's, that's too big a risk for us. You're we're, never going to say that. We're going in. Yeah. I was at Wydown Middle School. A teacher from across the hall darted into my classroom. And I was there with, with 35 other priests, brothers and sisters. I read something on the computer and I started to cry. And like I said, I was sitting upstairs in my office. I had, I had the news on. I was watching the news. and I was training uh, airline crew members at uh, TWA. Where were you on 9-11? I'm Sarah Fenske. We solicited your recollections in the past week, and we received quite a few voicemails. Two were from St. Louisans with memories of being schoolchildren on September 11th. Thomas recalled this. I was at Wydown Middle School, first period. I was in a study hall, and I remember hearing one of the teachers whisper to the other one that there is a plane crash in New York that they don't know what's happening, very mysterious and whispers and murmurs I kind of heard. Second period came around. I will never forget, I walked into the classroom history class and it was live footage on the TV. I came in, put my books down, sat down, looked at the TV thinking, this is insane, how is this happening? And I saw live the second plane hit. Thomas said people were in shock, and that continued after school. My cousin's, I think it was his fifth birthday, September 11th, and the TV was on the whole time. Everyone was just mesmerized, and his mother said, I'm sorry, this is awful, but we can't keep watching this. This is a birthday. We need to celebrate my son's birthday. That's one birthday party I will never forget. That is Thomas from Richmond Heights. Sag, who lives in Hazelwood, was also in school. She was in first grade. A teacher from across the hall darted into my classroom, demanding for my teacher to turn on the news. When she tuned in, I remember seeing a very large building on fire. I was confused as to why we were watching what I thought was Al Jazeera news, but it was in fact CNN. Around that time growing up, my parents watched Al Jazeera News every night at 10 p.m. As a six-year-old child, I couldn't tell the difference between that burning building in New York City and the ones being demolished in the Middle East. I watched my classmates around me begin to cry, and I couldn't even force myself to reenact their expressions because that image was normal for me to see on the news every night. By the time I got home that day, it was announced that a man wearing a head wrap, Middle Eastern identity, and Muslim was a terrorist culprit of this catastrophe. My mom predicted all of the racism Muslim Americans were going to face in this country. That followed up with harassment, slurs, and violence. I was getting told my family and I were terrorists by my six-year-old peers. 
I refrained from inviting my mom to class field trips and school events because she wears a hijab. I didn't want to be reminded I was different. The bullying never stopped until I graduated from high school. As an adult, I forget about the impact 9-11 had on my life. Because of the increase in social awareness, my generation has progressed. Though I am immediately reminded of it when I step out in public with my mother, who gets hard stares and whispers of racial slurs under their breasts at places like grocery stores, malls, and restaurants. I'm hopeful that that will all end in my generation. That is Sag calling from Hazelwood. Dennis Jenkerson was at work. Today, he is the St. Louis fire chief, but on September 11, 2001, he was a district commander. And he joins us now to share his memories of that day and all that followed. Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson, welcome. Good afternoon. So how did you first hear that something had happened in New York City? I was upstairs in my office. I had just come on shift that day. I was the um, battalion chief in the 5th District, which is Central West End, kind of this area here. Uh, I was preparing my manpower for the day. It was uh, 7.30 in the morning. I normally get there about quarter to six, so cups of cup, you know, a couple of cups of coffee, talk to the guys, make sure everybody's in, and start going over the manpower and any of the daily training and you know, inspections, whatever we had going on for that day. And like I said, I was sitting upstairs in my office. I had, I had the news on. I was watching the news, and uh, I, I believe it was a Today Show, in fact, and um, they cut in, said that, hey, they just had an some type of incident in New York City. Uh, they went live and showed, uh, I guess, like a, a picture of the building that was smoking at the time. And then they went back and they did have footage of the plane. And it, it was, you know, my initial thought immediately was, that's not an accident. Hmm. You know, that, that was just, you know, from, I guess, my training, w- what I had looked at, I, you know, it just, no, s- something wasn't right. You know, so... We kind of looked at that, kept watching, and you know, then all the other reports started coming in. And uh, what, 18 minutes later, 15 minutes later, whatever it was, the second plane hit the tower, and it was like, this is, this is bad. We've got something going up here, you know. So the phones started ringing within the firehouses. There, there's six districts in the city. There's a seventh at the airport. And they started, you know, calling in the battalion chiefs to uh, come to headquarters right away and have a discussion. Uh, as everybody knows, it, it it went from bad to it skipped worse and went to horrific, mm-hmm. you know, when the towers fell. And, you know, right away you started thinking about all the firefighters up in New York, all the police officers, all the workers in the building. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a lot of different thoughts. I bet. And so when those towers fell, those collapses there, at that point, you knew that firefighters had to have been up in them. You were aware that that people had gone running in to try to help people. Yeah. You know, just based on the the operating procedures or guidelines that most big city fire departments have that that have uh, the number of high-rises that New York does, the number of high-rises the city of St. Louis, you know, you start calculating, okay, they probably had two, three, four alarms going minimum yeah you know so you start in your head figuring you know you go 30 60 90 120 you know and then it's just like then the all of the auxiliary equipment around the base all the people who were already in the building it's just like you know the numbers uh, became you couldn't comprehend the amount of numbers you know and when they you started seeing pictures of the piles once once the dust cleared and the smoke started clearing a little bit it was just like there's nothing 
left, you know, including, you know, and then the pictures came in of the trucks that were totally smashed to the wheels. You know, yeah, it, it was a, a very humbling, very sad. Um, you couldn't even think of words to, you know, talk to other firefighters about, mm-hmm. you know, because some of the, you know, we had trained, I had trained with some of the firefighters from New York, you know, with my, some of the hazardous material training and some of the military training that we did with the different forces around the country, the National Guard forces. So, you know, we were training partners. Yeah, we knew that probably some of these guys were stuck or underneath that pile somewhere. And we now know that 343 members of New York City's fire department lost their lives on 9-11. It's such a staggering number. Even today, it's hard to think of that enormous loss of life. I mean, thinking of your department and, you know, what that would have meant to a department like St. Louis, it just, it feels impossible to even move forward. No, no, you really can't. I mean, you know, they always, you you talk about don't, you know, that's all, don't forget, let's always remember, you know, that that's a, that's a scar that that's that's always there. You know, it, it's you know when you see a guy from New York, um, you don't have to say anything. You know, you know the scar is still there. Um, I was at home last night. You know, just had gotten home from from work, and you know, there's kind of floating through the TV channels, and everything you saw was you know something on 9/11. You know, it was mm-hmm. you know somebody recalling this, somebody you know this where they were which i completely understand with the 20th anniversary but I, you know for whatever reason you know i skipped across and kind of went over to you know to one of the sports channels and i got stuck because they were um, they were playing the new york city firefighters against the new york city cops in a hockey game last night their memorial game their oh. their friendship game and you know yes it was called their memorial friendship remembrance game but it was it's they still played very hard. I'll leave it at that. But, you know, it, it was something, yes, I could have gone back to the other channels, but, no, I, I, I stayed watching those guys. But, you know, because that's a scar that, that that's always, it's a deeper scar with them because they were up there. You know, it's still a scar for all firefighters and all first responders, but it, it's, you know, it, it's it, it's something you always have to remember mm-hmm. and, and not forget, but, you know, continue to move forward. I think the one thing that has given um, some of us outside this situation some consolation is knowing that firefighters willingly rushed in. Just that that bravery and the idea that you guys know the risks and that doesn't stop you from doing this job. That is the one thing about 9-11 that it makes me feel so proud of <laughs> of people like you and, and the guys in your department. And I think about that now every time something happens to a, a firefighter in St. Louis. You know, you take a calculated risk anytime you go into a building, you know, and there's always people who, who question the risk that you're taking. It's like, you know, this is an abandoned building. Why are you sending, you know, guys in there? And it's like, well, it, it's it's a calculated risk, but do you are you absolutely positive who's in that building are you absolutely positive that nobody's in that building and we're not Mm -hmm. so we take that risk you know um we look at the building we look at what kind what type of condition it is do we have our resources ready and you know if that's what we do and you know to look at that building you know that that collapsed 20 years ago um if it happened again today you'd probably see firefighters setting up their trucks making the fire hydrants, stretching the lines, 
and going into the building. Mm-hmm. That's what we get paid to do. We get paid to take a risk. It's, you know, you don't want to pull up on a scene and see heavy fire on a second floor and somebody saying, well, my my mom and my grandma and my grandfather's in there. And it's just, well, that's, that's, that's too big a risk for us. You're we're, never going to say that. We're going in. Yeah. We're talking today to St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson, and um, our phone lines are open. We're at 314-382-8255. Again, that's 382-TALK. We want to hear your uh, memories of that day 20 years ago. I'm going to go to the phone lines in just a moment, but first, I want to play... uh, memories from Alan Nash. He lives in St. Peter's now. He was living in Houston on September 11th. He later joined the Navy and he served in Afghanistan as an engineer. He shared some thoughts about that. He's now retired from that job, but here's what he said. Before 9-11, I would say that our uh, our American perspective on the world was we were complacent with peacetime and and so we, we had become ripe to be attacked. But And it happened and tragedy ensued but then we acted quickly and we were unified in defense of our country like freedom's not free and you can debate on how you defend your freedom and that's the political part but freedom's not free and like we can be a good steward of the world we can be a good steward of our leadership role in it but when people want to be bad actors you have to show that it's not acceptable and i think we did that And that is retired Navy Lieutenant Alan Nash with his thoughts on 9-11. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Uh, Jerry is calling from St. Louis. Jerry, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Good afternoon. Um, I'm a priest in St. Louis. I've been a priest for 55 years and many social justice endeavors. But 20 years ago, I was on a sabbatical in a kind of remote area of New Mexico. And I was there with with 35 other priests, brothers, and sisters from around the world. Mm. And, of course, 9-11 happened, and, and the truth is, I mean, 20, 20 years ago, we didn't even have great communications. I mean, television in this remote place. But but uh, but we hadn't gone there to watch television. But, of course, that morning at breakfast time, when we did watch some television and but but uh, what I'd like to share with you and what was really shocking for me was that uh, these people were, about 19 of them were from different countries in the world, hmm. and, and they were very prayerful and very sympathetic and shocked, but, but more than one of them said, well, we hate to tell you this, but, but welcome to the terrorism that the rest of the world lives with um, all the time. And the tragedy is, especially people from El Salvador and Central America said, and, and especially is, we think that a certain amount of the tragedy and horror we live with is perpetrated by and financed and trained by the United States government. Hmm. And, and, uh, and, and I had been to El Salvador. In fact, I'd been arrested in El Salvador just, just trying to, uh, to, to find out about what was going on there. And Jerry, thank you for, for sharing this reminiscence. It, it sounds like this was something where you were coming in um, with some knowledge of, of politics that made this not a shock for you, but that for many people, this was such a shock. This actually reminds me of a voicemail that we got um, earlier this week from Cheryl. She also had a perspective um, from the international level on this, Um, although that's not where it begins. It begins, Cheryl called from Swansea, and she told us about how she was teaching school that day. 
And the first time I walked into our teacher's lounge is the first time I saw the plane go into the Twin Tower. Nothing in my life can compare with how I felt when I saw that. It it was unbelievable. It took my breath away. This was the United States of America. And this is uh, Cheryl from Swansea. She added this memory from later that same day. I read something on the computer and I started to cry. And all of my students said, Mrs. Logan, Mrs. Logan, why are you crying? And what had happened is there was a message and a German ship in the middle of the ocean pulled up next to an American ship and said how sorry they were for what happened in New York City at the Twin Towers. And my student said, Mrs. Logan, why would that cry? What does that mean? And I said, we fought a World War II against the Germans. And now in the middle of the ocean, they have compassion and sadness for what happened to us in our country. And that again is Cheryl with her memories of 9-11. I'm going to go back to the phone lines. Jerry is calling from O'Fallon. Uh, Jerry, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Good afternoon. Yes, I was training uh, airline crew members at uh, TWA mm. and uh, was in class, actually, when someone said there was a, an airplane hit a building in New York. And then, of course, from then, would, as, as the news became to, you know, as came to came to trickle in, uh, we realized what was happening. And, of course, it was an extremely high emotional impact because I was, you know, training people that, you know, staff aircraft and, you know, four aircraft were lost that day and uh, with uh, obviously with the crew and passengers on board. And uh, and then, of course, we watched as the day went on as the air traffic system slowly dwindled down to nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the commercial flights and uh, our building which is still there, was adjacent to the airport and uh, now kind of inside of it. And it was really eerie for the next few days afterwards because, you know, we heard aircraft take off and land every 15 seconds. And it was extremely, extremely quiet. And, uh, Jerry, of course, I'll probably never forget that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, wow, you were right there. Um, That's an amazing story. Jerry, thank you for sharing that. Chief Jenkerson, and and hearing Jerry's reminiscences, it, it reminds me that we didn't know if there would be more targets. Um, was this something that the fire department was was ready for, that something could hit St. Louis or that there could be more planes up in the air headed this way? I can't say we that we were not ready for it. Uh, we probably weren't as ready as we should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got called into several meetings over the next couple of days in regards to which facilities uh, were going to be locked down, which facilities were going to be protected you know, the main infrastructures of the city, you know, the electric, gas, uh, our water supply, uh, some of the port areas that, that, you know, that bring in our food to transportation. We looked at what areas uh, that we consider to be threats, what were our, you know, what were our liabilities, what were the soft targets, what were the easy targets, you know, all that came into play. And over the past 20 years, all of that has been uh, drilled down into, and it, it's, we're on a playing field now where there's an index, if you will, of everything in this entire region mm-hmm. that we consider, you know, uh, targets, if you will, that we protect and we watch, you know, the role of the fire department is totally switched. You know, I actually have an office of Homeland Security within my department. Now we have uh, members of our our department who are signed just to watch cybersecurity, Homeland Security threats, look at, you know, 
targets that people might look at. You know, so the entire role since you know, 20 years ago has changed within the fire department. You know, there's a whole lot more. There's a lot more preparedness for these type of attacks. You know, it, it's one of your callers talked about freedom. You know, and, and unfortunately, yes, we still have great freedoms in the country, but and a, a lot of countries don't like the fact that we do have freedoms. You know, and we've had to forego, you know, just going to the airport has totally changed, as everybody well knows. But, you know, that, that's, that's a price we have to pay for freedom, to, you know, to live in a country where we live in right now and, and have the opportunities to do what we want to do. And some people don't like that. And it's interesting. I mean, before 9-11, we were all kind of blissfully naive, as, as our friend the priest referenced. You know, we, we never thought it mm-hmm. could happen here. And now it seems like because of all the, the work that has gone into changing things, it would be a lot harder for this to happen here. You know, with all the eyes on different things, you know, how we watch, how we prepare, what we what we study, yes, I think it would be a lot harder. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but, you know, it's the preparedness level has really gone up. It's, it's, it's impressive how much work has taken place in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's good that some good has come out of this. And I will mention just in our, our final moments here, we've heard from some people today also through our, our St. Louis on the Air social media who mentioned that what happened there caused them to reassess life and, and to make some choices that they feel good about today. And so, you know, no matter how terrible things are, and this event was absolutely terrible, there's always some good that can come out of it. And it's good to know that's been the case for some people that we've talked to. So Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.